What I hope that people who do end up either choosing to or just happens to them that they find their partner later in life is that they're really honest. They're upfront about what they need mm -hmm. and they're upfront about hearing who their partner is. Mm. So when someone is telling you who they are or showing you because for whatever reason they can't always communicate it, or you even get a sense, like you have that spidey sense, listen to all of those feelings. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. Can we actually remain empowered? when on the dating scene, when we have been at it for so long. You know, I have been there and felt that. I spent 27 years dating from age 15 until I got married at 42. And yes, it can be exhausting and demoralizing and heartbreaking. How then do we remain happy, hopeful, and positive on our journey to love when things keep going off the rails? Today's guest, Roshini Rajkumar, also dated for many years before meeting and falling in love at first sight with her now husband. Roshini and I discuss our journeys and the concrete steps we can take to keep our head in the game while following our heart. Roshini shares the seven important steps that assisted her in dating empowered and eventually helped her meet her person. Here's a little bit more about Roshini. A multimedia content creator, Roshini Rajkumar is a licensed attorney whose first career as a TV broadcaster laid the groundwork for her current life as a talk show host, C-suite strategist, and crisis coach. She hosts the Crisis Files podcast, and her book, Communicate That, is in its third edition and has been read by thousands of people in the U.S., Canada, and Asia. My interview with fellow late bloomer to love, Roshini Rajkumar right after this. Roshini, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. So I'm loving that we have a little bit of a similar history and I don't have a big sister. I have two older brothers and I often think how nice it is to have women who are a couple years ahead of us in their journey through life and love and how nice it is sometimes to reflect on things that we've experienced and go, Oh, I wonder what the 20-somethings are. What, how are they managing and working through and moving through similar circumstances or the 30-somethings or the 40-somethings and trying to be that big sister slash auntie to those women who are coming behind us who we want to help encourage and empower in all realms. But today we thought we'd talk about something that's similar in our journey where we both married a man with children. And I'd love to hear your process, of course, you know, the Love and Life audience is very into dating relationships. That's actually how we met on a panel years ago, talking about men, women, love, life. And I'd love to hear, and I think they would like to hear how you got to your place in your love journey, some of the ups and downs, and then how you ended up with Love Your Life, who happened to be a man who had children. It's interesting because there was a time in my life, probably in my 20s, where I said, I'm never going to get married. And then time goes on and things change. And I thought, I guess I could see that. And I would say my history has been really one of that serial monogamist. So I liked being in relationships. I also had 
which I think everyone should, that time where they played around, dated around, really got certain things out of their system. And I am happy that that is in my past. It might have crept into some decades I hadn't imagined, but because <laughs> um, uh, again, I didn't imagine that I would get married one day in my 40s. But I do own that past, and I think it has taught me a lot of lessons. It worked out being the right past for me. And in those relationships of, I would say, the serial monogamy relationships, where I really did have a lot of amazing men that I dated and several who I felt love for, they loved me, really did. And nothing bad to say about them. I think, too, several of them I'm still friends with. And that mm -hmm. says a lot, I think, about both of us. We're not necessarily best friends. I don't talk to them all the time. But that says a lot. My mother passed away unexpectedly at the end of 2021. A couple of them were at the funeral. One actually flew into town from out of state for it. So that it, I'm very appreciative that on mm -hmm. a certain level, several of the exes have stayed friends. And I think that when you've had that in your life, when you get to your late 30s, as I was, and I had this conversation with myself it was at the beginning of a year, right before my book came out. I guess that would have been 2010 when I just ended a relationship. The book's about to come out. I really don't want to date. I am okay also if one day it turns out I'm not even going to be married. I mm -hmm. just feel like I've had a lot of amazing men, a lot of amazing love, some good sex in my life. I'm okay if marriage doesn't happen. And that was interesting because probably within two months of saying that, I met the person who then eventually became my husband and I would say is the love of my life. And it was love at first sight on top of that, which you wow. don't think you're going to have happen to you in your late 30s. Yeah, there's so many things I want to underscore here because I think of the typical love and life listener has found me through my book and the work that I do with the dating relationship realm. And now we've expanded it to be more holistic in terms of love, life, mental health, and so forth. But they have probably had similar a similar path. And one thing that really struck out to me is that you would, despite I'm sure there were heartbreaks along the way, serial monogamy has heartbreak. <laughs> Whether you decide it's not a fit and you move on, that's still hard. Or if you're the one who's getting told, this isn't gonna go the distance for me, that's also painful. But you were able to, throughout that process, find that silver lining of, hey, but I'm still friends with some of these people. I mean, someone flew in from another state to walk with me through grief of my mother passing. That is something I think it's really hard sometimes for women to do when they haven't had love play out the way they'd like to. And the other thing that struck me is that you made peace with your journey. You said, I don't know, like I've just written this book. I have this full life. I've had an amazing walk through love life land and had some incredible relationships. And if I never find that one person, I'm going to be okay. How did you come to that place? Because I think that's something that when women have as part of their life's goals and dreams to find their person, I think it can be very hard to let go of that. And I'm not saying that you resigned yourself, gave up all hope, but it sounds like you were like, I'm able to be good with where I am and be thankful for everything else that's wonderful in my life. Part of it, Dr. Karen, was maybe because I had some good experiences. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly there had been heartbreak. I can't say there wasn't. There were some really low times, but I felt on that whole love journey or relationship 
romantic relationship journey, I had a pretty full spectrum of things happen Mm -hmm. in my life. I wasn't really missing out. And short Mm -hmm. of ultra, ultra kinky sex, I think I've gotten everything (laughs) covered. Like I'm not going to die not having experienced things. Like that was literally part of the conversation with myself. And that involved also just being intentional in life. I'd have my first career in television news. That was about a decade on air and news. I left TV to start my business. When you and I met, I was a business owner a few years into my business owning journey. And so it starts with your own ability to live a full life. And I feel blessed that I do also have a lot of amazing friends, definitely some fabulous men friends, a lot of amazing women friends. So, you know, your gal pals can get you through a lot. They're also just part of my social life. So naturally, Mm -hmm. that was part of my social life. I ran with a running team. I was very active in different areas that had nothing to do with relationships, but continued to make me feel like I was living a full life. You do have to be intentional because Mm -hmm. when your friends get to ages where they're coupling off or having kids, you can't be offended that you're the one who maybe has to be more of the one making the plans and making sure people get together. And as an extrovert, that's just something that comes naturally to me. I am grateful that friends acknowledge and appreciate that I do that because ultimately when we all get together, even to this day, someone has to have organized it. And most people are not organizers. (laughs) So that's one tip just for everybody, all of your listeners, women Mm -hmm. and men, be active in your own life. It doesn't, not everything has to deal with getting you to that romantic relationship. When you are active and out there, there's a certain energy you emanate and you just never know when someone could walk up to you who not only wants to be a friend, but maybe wants to take you out on a date or wants to go have a coffee and see where it could lead. If you're just sitting at home down in the doldrums, that's just not going to happen to you because you're not out there and you don't have to be an extrovert. This applies Mm -hmm. to introverts too. Mm -hmm. Just doing things that are fulfilling, join a book club, things where, you know, and I would say as we get into the next parts of my story, how I met that love of my life was through a friend who had met the previous boyfriend, knew I was broken up. And within two weeks called me up and said, I have someone I want you to meet. And I was in a place where I didn't want to meet anybody new. Right. So that was an interesting situation at the time. I just, I had to write down a couple of things because I'm a geek and I still act like I'm in school and I take notes. (laughs) But what I love is just being active and intentional in your own life. And there's so much benefit. Of course, we could go even go to the physiological research about when we move, when we take action and how that helps us with our mindset, with our emotional state. And so when you decided I'm going to be, have a full life, and I don't know what that entails necessarily because we never know, but to remain active and to not get bitter when the friends are really caught up with their preschoolers because they have to be good parents and to go, okay, then I'll take the, I'll do the heavy lifting on the organizing to make sure we still get our glass of wine with the girls night. We'll still have those connections, but I'll be understanding of everyone else's season and recognize my season, which maybe you did have a little more free time to join that running club, to start that book club. And to me, taking action, my dad, there's all these dadisms that my dad had that he drilled into my brothers and me. 
And one was take charge. And for a while, the theme of this podcast was take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life, because so much of your mindset has to do with you being disciplined and not letting yourself go down that, okay, it's hopeless. This Because I'm going through a rough patch right now, that means it's always going to be horrible. Because I went through a breakup now, it means I'll be alone forever. All those kinds of mindset, it's very easy to fall down those holes when you're not where you want to be or where things haven't worked out and you're hurting. But to take action is one way. And sometimes fake it till you make it, right? Take action, even when you don't really feel like it, and let the action lead your feelings and help fortify your mindset. Sometimes we think, I got to get my head straight and decide what to do, and then I'll take action. And you're saying, be intentional, take action, move through, stay motivated and intentional, and allow that to help bring the emotional state along with you. Yeah. And the taking action, just movement is joy. You've heard that, that saying. So when you're taking action, I can't tell you how many times I run with a running team and in the 10, 12 years ago was doing it much more regularly as far as training for marathons, training for half marathons. Those are hard things to do on your own. So I was with my running team four to six days a week, different times of the day. And so no matter what state I was in joyous or down in the dumps, getting out with them, talking with them, even if I didn't share what was going on, inevitably you do. Like runners tell each other everything and you leave it on the trails. You kind of leave that emotion, the negative vibes. So to be able to have whatever that group of people is or one friend, or maybe it's a relative that you know you have a safe space to just talk through some stuff, just unloading it when it's negative also can make a difference. But also getting out there and moving and doing something different. For example, jumping ahead, my seven-year wedding anniversary, we just celebrated that. And we went with some friends. It's become an annual trip or annual outing where we go on a boat ride with this couple. It's her birthday the day after our wedding anniversary. And this year their boat was in the shop and it didn't get back in time. We did two kayaks and my husband and I were on two paddle boards and they took us to some new lakes that we didn't know about. And we just had the best time. Mm. And it reminded me of my love of paddle boarding and how I haven't been out yet this summer. And now I want to go out paddle boarding more. And even if I go by myself, I'm fine with that. So it just doing that as couples also opened up another thing I could go do on my own if I want to. Mm-hmm. that would bring me joy and it's movement and it's intentional. So mm-hmm. you just don't know leaving yourself open mm-hmm. to trying new things and to not sulking is really step number one. And it's so important. It sounds sometimes I think some of the strategies that women like you and I, who have had those ups and downs, certainly with our love life and certainly in our careers as well, when sometimes some of these steps seem almost too simple. Oh, just go outside. Yeah, now there's all this research about vitamin D and how that helps our mood and helps our immune system and all the things, again, a holistic approach to life. And sometimes we think that's just, that's too easy. No, it's not. First of all, it's not easy to take action when you're really demoralized and not in the mood to take action, but it may be simple, but simple doesn't mean that it's not profound. And so I think we need to really get back to basics oftentimes. And I think about, again, where I was years ago and listening to a conversation like this, I would hope I would have ears to hear, though I know that neither of us is trying to say that someone who is in that low season and that low space right now, we're not trying to minimize what you're going through or your pain, your emotions are valid, absolutely. But we are trying to share some of those things that you can do. And maybe it's something like, okay, 
Today, I'm just going to go and take a walk in the morning and get some sunlight and get my body moving. And I think, again, sometimes it seems like, oh, that's just a hokey little cliche. It's not. And there's so much research to back it up as well. So I love that step one to take action, to be intentional in your own life. Roshini, as you think about, because I think the theme of trying to maintain that happy, hopeful attitude, like you said, being open when we haven't had life maybe go as we would have scripted. And now you mentioned that you initially thought you never wanted to get married. So in some ways, when you're now in your late thirties and not married, part of you was like, well, that was the plan initially. Then it sounds like you became open to it. What was initially your reason for not wanting to get married? And then how did that kind of move and change as you, again, were open to possibilities? I don't even remember. Okay. <laughs> I don't even remember why I said that. Yeah. And I think it was probably in my late teens, early twenties. I'm saying this because I was very career focused. I wanted sure. to be, by the time I was wrapping up college. So my last semester of college, I changed from wanting to be a trial attorney to wanting to be a TV reporter. I still wanted to go to law school and I did, but my first career was as a TV reporter. So I think that vision in my twenties Oh, I'm going to be a TV reporter. I'm going to be covering wars. I'm going to be all over the world. I'm not going to have time to get married. My guess is that is mm -hmm. why I thought that. But I really can't fully remember the analysis. <laughs> that strikes me too, because I think there's this tension between women of our generation, who certainly the women in prior generations worked so hard to give us all those opportunities. And we are able to avail ourselves of so many different really amazing ways to do life and to live in the fullness of who we are as women. And so I think sometimes maybe, yeah, an earlier understanding of that as a younger woman be like, I can't have both. I've got to either be career woman or think about wife, being a wife and mother. And so maybe you slid into that mindset for a while. And then you thought, wait a minute, actually we can do, I wouldn't say we can have it all. Cause sometimes then that puts too much pressure on women to be like, they feel like they have to be super woman in every single realm of their life. But I do think we can have more of a fullness of our life. And another thing we don't fully understand in our early 20s is that there are seasons. And so even those women who do have that, their wife, their mother, and then they get to our age and a lot of our friends are now empty nesters. And so then they see, oh, wow, there's another second act here where I can maybe even pick up some of those career ambitions that I put on the back burner for a bit to focus on the kids and the house and so forth. So it's interesting that sometimes we don't see the fullness of what the different seasons of life may be able to offer us. And the other thing now that like, of course, whenever I talk with you, other things come to mind. So my mother became a widow when she was 38. My dad died six weeks after he turned 40. And my brother and I were nine and 11. I was 11, like three weeks before I turned 12. So mm -hmm. I also think that probably played into some of it and it's not rational, but there was probably a part of me that didn't want to be married and become a widow because I saw that. And you just don't even think that's going to happen to your mom when she was young and we were kids. So I, I think now in retrospect, some of that might have colored that decision or those kind of lines I was saying back in my 20s. Absolutely. And I'm so sorry to hear that. That's tragic, especially as a young child and that loss. and then as any young child would do, trying to go navigate through that emotional, the grief, and then going, how can I set myself up to not feel this pain in the future? I'll focus on career. That's more in my control because I could marry someone and they could pass away and leave me devastated. And so I'm sure there was part of 
your little child psyche going, I don't want to experience this. So what can I do? And that makes sense. But I love that you were able to remain open, even in the midst of, again, that understanding of maybe this is my path. This is who I'm wired up to be. And then at some point going, wait a minute, there is a way for me to have the fullness of my career. And it's amazing all the things you've accomplished in your career. It's very exciting. And I'm sure very fulfilling for you. And then also to go here in your late 30s, wait, I am open to love. So tell us a little bit about, and you said love at first sight, which that's always a debated topic. Is it a thing? Is it not? Let us know. How was it for you? So if we go back to that time in January or so, 2010, when I had broken up with a boyfriend, my book was a couple months from coming out. I intentionally did not want to date anyone. Right. I was really like, I had to leave post-it notes around to remind myself where to go. Don't forget this. Don't do that because I was so slammed. And three different friends, completely different aspects of my life came to me and said, I have someone for you to meet. And I said, okay, I'll tell you this. I'm really not wanting to meet anyone right now. And I really need them to be not much older than I am. And I'd prefer it if they had never been married, didn't have kids. And all of them are like, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have come to affectionately call these three men bachelors number one, two, and three. <laughs> and I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. So, so all of them were just amazing men, but all of them were in a range of eight to 13 years older than I had all been married and divorced and each had two or three kids. So none of my friends listened to me. <laughs> Listen to my specs. <laughs> They're like, we know better than you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I would say first dates with everyone were fine. Bachelor number one, we had a couple things going like over the course of a couple of months. And he was an exceptional man. It's just bachelor number three came along, I had already determined number two wasn't, it mm -hmm. wasn't right. And we've stayed right. friends. I don't see him that much, but whenever we bump into each other, always a smile, a hug, whatever. So bachelor number three was the love at first sight. And so when that happened, then bachelor number one, absolutely. And I'm not saying bachelor number one was super into me, but then it was all about bachelor number three. And that was pretty amazing. Yeah. You don't think that's going to happen in your late 30s. No. And it did. It took us a while to work through some things. Mm -hmm. And some of those things could be because he had been married before. So he had his own baggage from that. And, and he actually has an amazing ex-wife. I always say if there's going to be an ex-wife, this is the ex-wife you want in your life. She is amazing. And he also had two young kids at the time. One was 12 and one was 15. Yeah. And that's daunting. That is daunting mm -hmm. because yes. you don't have to look too far in the cultural archetypes to know that no one likes the stepmother. <laughs> She's wicked. She's evil. And at, <laughs> no that one point, <laughs> and at that point, I'm not even thinking the stepmother piece. I, he did introduce me to them within a month of us meeting. So that seemed to confirm the feelings here were strong or he would not have had me meet them. Right. But that also doesn't mean everything just falls into mm -hmm. place. So I think that's a good point of clarity that love at first sight does not mean that everything is going to line up and this, it's going to be fireworks in the sky. 
to the extent that now you might feel that on an emotional level, but there's also realities of life. There's the past relationships, there's the children, there's the taking two adult lives and trying to have them start to move together. And that's hard because you're busy and you've got your whole fullness of your life and your friendships and your relationships and your family. And he has the same. And then also the ex and the kids. So love at first sight. But I think that's a very hopeful message for those out there who go, I don't know. Like we were saying, no one likes a stepmother. Do I even want to try to get into a relationship with a man with kids? Because that seems just really daunting. You're here to say you can have the love at first sight. You can also be very honest and authentic about some of the challenges they're in with two grown people with full adult lives and yet still make start to make sense of how this can work together. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love and Life family. When he introduced you to his kids, so that's a big deal. And then when you were then starting to become serious, what were some of the things you were thinking in your head about, like, how do I, because it's single woman living in the city, career woman, full life, and then whoa, what is this going to look like? This is going to bring a new role to your life. And how did you start to make sense of whether this could actually work, despite how obviously crazy you were about your then not yet, but soon to be husband? I will say that initially, even when you have love at first sight, at least my mind, and that could just be me, I wasn't just immediately thinking, oh, I'm going to marry this guy. Right. So we really did have our own honeymoon period. So whether he had been married or not, had kids or not, I think that might have been the same. So we were able to experience those butterflies and all Mm -hmm. of those things when you're first meeting someone, falling for them, all of that. I think once it was clear that there was something there, there was a there, (laughs) then it wasn't always peachy because we did have two breakups Mm -hmm. on the road to what eventually would be marriage. After the first breakup, you don't think it's going to, you think you're done. Right. And then we got back together and you think, all right, we're together. So you don't anticipate the second breakup. You don't anticipate getting back together after the second breakup. And then with the second break, after we get back together at the second breakup, then I think we both are like, I think we are supposed to be together. (laughs) And I think this is supposed to lead to marriage. And so it was a longer journey from when we met through the breakups to actually the wedding. And not everyone can handle that. And for no reason was it about the feelings for each other were always there. The breakup was never because of another man or woman for either Mm -hmm. of us. It was challenges around the particular situation, our own personalities. I'm an extrovert, he's an introvert, and probably some layered challenges because yeah you have some commitments because you're a father and i'm certainly never ever going to say don't do those commitments but we've got to be able to communicate better and incorporate and be more collaborative and together on this so it was really a journey of communication he probably had to go through a lot more even than i did 
because he was dealing with three of us and loved yeah. all of us. Yeah, that's interesting because here I am on, as I hear you, I'm coming at it as a fellow stepmom. So I'm seeing it more through your eyes and then you're going, wait, I, as a wife, as a partner, you want to see, I think one of the key strengths you can have as a couple is trying to take yourself out of your vantage point, put yourself in your partner's vantage point. And how was that for him? And like you said, he has this woman he's in love with. He's got these two daughters who he's madly in love with. He's trying to make a lot of women happy in his life. And that's gonna and be he had a mother who was dying of oh. Alzheimer's. So all of this was happening. Yeah. So I will say to really give full story to your listeners, the first breakup, we you could pretty much the reasoning for were our very different personalities. And I did not feel he was balancing. And so I stepped mm -hmm. out. I'm like, look, I am not going to be the one to get in the way of you and your daughters. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have that on me. I don't want that kind of relationship. And I don't want, I deserve a lot too. So I was the instigator of that first breakup. Mm -hmm. And we stayed a little connected. Like we'd meet for coffee it was pretty clear we still had feelings for each other. Mm -hmm. So that breakup didn't last that long, but he did make promises to me that he would work on those items that I was talking about. And there's such a tension there because, so as a stepmom myself, we think about that. And of course I have other friends who are in step relationships and there's definitely that acknowledgement that you're, partner's kids, your spouse's kids, they are, they've been through a divorce. No kid wants that. No kid asked for that. It's not their fault. And so there has to be that very intentional, again, demonstration of the children that they are still completely loved, cherished, valued, and because they've had their world disrupted. And so any step parent who is sensitive to that, and it sounds like you were, and realizing that your boyfriend at the time was having a hard time juggling also with the mother going through that painful experience of Alzheimer's. And it sounds to me like you were thinking to yourself, I need to make sure that I am feeling valued and honored in this relationship as his partner. And if he's not able to juggle everything, I don't want to be the one who's in the way of him being the dad he needs to be when his girls have just gone through this divorce or not just, I don't know how recent it was, but you get the point. So there's a lot of, I would say, I don't know, I guess I'm patting ourselves on the back here, Roshini. But there's a lot, I think, of us having to be very grown up in when you step into partnership at that age with those realities associated with that partnership. And I think a lot about my friends and family members who got married really young and they have their own challenges, very unique challenges, because sometimes you get married in your early twenties or mid twenties, even late twenties, and you don't really know who you are because you, you, you're as an individual and you don't really know your partner and they don't probably know themselves as individuals much just because developmentally they haven't had the chance to get that identity solidification in place. And so they have to grow and change and still remain connected. Whereas someone like you and I, when we met later in life, our partners, we had those other challenges of these other elements of life that had been part of the package, so to speak. So I think that there's always challenges no matter when. I think sometimes when I was watching all my friends get married younger and then starting their families, there was probably a moment or two where I'd be like wistful, like, why couldn't I just marry someone young? But that's not just the easy road and we have the harder road. I think there's challenges on both tracks, both trajectories to love. 
What I hope that people who do end up either choosing to or just happens to them that they find their partner later in life is that they're really honest. They're upfront about what they need mm -hmm. and they're upfront about hearing who their partner is. Mm. So when someone is telling you who they are or showing you because for whatever reason they can't always communicate it, or you even get a sense, like you have that spidey sense, listen to all of those feelings. And even then, if you say, I can't handle it, it's okay. If you say, I can handle it, figure out the recipe that you and the partner need to make it work. But I would definitely say, do not impose what you want on them if they are anxious or if they just don't sound like they can go along with it, you're going to have worlds of problem trying to push it, right? Mm -hmm. Now I would say, and you've mentioned this whole love at first sight, we have agreed that how we met and those feelings we had instantly for one another got us through some of the hard times. Mm -hmm when we were both, when whether it was during a breakup or other times, even since we've been married, we think back to that and it is a reminder of what a special connection this is. Mm -hmm. And that's been a wonderful thing that we both came to separately and mm -hmm. told each other that got us through some things. But whatever that was, you don't have to have love at first sight to end up with the right partner, but you do have to be fully honest with yourself. It can't be, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 40 and I'm not married or, oh my gosh, my parents really want me to have a kid and I'm pushing 35. Who cares? Mm -hmm. This is, if you are someone who wants to get married, it is the most important decision you make in your life because not only are you tying your heart and mind to them, which are definitely the most important thing you're tying, you are tying your finances to them. Mm -hmm. They are tying your, their finances to yours. So another big piece of advice I give is go in eyes wide open, sit down, talk through things, look at tax returns for the last two, three years. You really have to. That is one of the benefits of age that you really have to do because now you've probably also solidified. You've been investing in your own retirement. You have investments, you have a car, you may have a property. All of those things could be hurt if there's something your partner has done, whether it wasn't legal or was just weird, that could come back to bite you. Those are all things that being older, mm -hmm. should you decide to marry, you now have the benefit of time, age, and wisdom. And now Dr. Karen's podcast, where you're hearing me say, <laughs> ask these yeah. questions. Yes. And to not minimize finances, because according to many surveys, the reasons for divorce, often the top couple reasons, one of the top one or two often is financial disputes. And so if you're going in with your head buried in the sand and going, I don't want to, oh, that's not sexy. That's not romantic. Talk about finances. So we'll deal with that later. It'll work itself out. That's not wise. <laughs> it's not mature. It's being pretty careless and cavalier with your life and his life or her life and your family because your family's end up marrying each other, so to speak. So we have to be, again, we have to take advantage of being a little bit older, wiser, more mature, and make sure that we are 
using the fullness of that maturity, maturity, the experiences we've had to really make sure that we're starting on a firm, strong foundation. But I also love that you're saying this without saying it can't be sexy and hot and romantic because it was. And I want to underscore that as well, too, because I think sometimes to your point about it's the clock ticking and the family wants babies and I'm turning 40 and I didn't see my life playing out this way. Sometimes we might be tempted to go for someone who maybe doesn't curl our toes, but he's a good enough guy. Bachelor number one sounds like there was some good stuff there. But bachelor number three was when you went, oh, good stuff is not enough. And it's not because if good stuff and a good like friendship were enough, we would just marry a friend and call it a day. We need that chemistry. I really stand by this as well, especially when you're marrying older and there may be some realities that will be challenges that other marriages didn't face. You need that. Let's remember when all we could think about was each other, when I, you got to stick to your stomach, the butterflies, because that kind of attraction really will, as you guys both came to independently and then share with each other, which I love, that really will be a bond that can get you through some of the toughest times. That is for sure. We don't walk through life as just two-dimensional, right? People. We are three-dimensional, sometimes multi, even more than that. And everything has played into our, who we are today, how we grew up, where we grew up, number of siblings, no siblings. Did we lose a parent? Are we from a divorced home? Whatever, all of those things play in. The best thing you can do is talk about it. And not everyone easily talks about things. Look, I'm an ex TV reporter. I'm a licensed attorney. I mean, talking and I'm a broadcaster. Talking and getting at the information is part of who I am. It probably drives a lot of people in my life crazy, but that's who I am. When it comes to relationships, if you don't have good communication, it's really hard to have anything else. Mm -hmm. And we certainly did not have great communication off the top. We had the lightning bolt. We had all of that. We had, but we work at the communication piece every day. And it doesn't have to be like a drudgery. It could be as simple as, and I just said this to him the other day. I said, should we get together tonight and do calendars? I want to make sure we've got everything on the right page. I've got some work travel coming up. So we've got to account for who's going to take the dog out, like all these different things, right? That's just life. And mm-hmm. it's easier to plan about it, plan ahead, talk through it. And then inevitably you sit down to do some of those things and some of the other important, even more important things come up that you've scheduled some time to talk about calendars and give yourself time. It can't just be 10, 15 minutes. Other topics can come up, mm-hmm. but you're in this natural setting. So whatever you need, whatever's natural for you as a couple, I recommend it, but I just don't think you can ask enough questions. I think you have to get into a situation where you ask what you need to ask for you to feel secure and comfortable, both financially, spiritually, in your home, all of those areas that are important to you and try to get to where you are on the same page with your partner. And if you just can't, I would highly recommend you really think about should that be a lifelong partner or even more, should I legally bind myself in marriage? That is a huge thing. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a licensed attorney. There are a lot of things that come with that legal status that aren't all roses and champagne and throwing Mm -hmm. rice at you after a ceremony. So really being open and honest with yourself first and then having these conversations with your partner. Your path with your partner, you really demonstrated that to yourself. 
because when you broke up, when you step back that first time, you were basically, the communication wasn't there, as you said, you were, he was trying to juggle a lot of priorities and you weren't feeling, it sounds like from what you were sharing, you weren't feeling that you were being the priority that you needed to be as potentially becoming his wife. And so you had to step back and that create a boundary. And you had to do, to, to your point you made a moment ago, if you're not seeing that you're getting your needs met, that you are creating in your dating phase, the type of dynamics that you want to carry through into your marriage and for a lifelong partnership, then you have to make those adjustments. And sometimes it will be something like, I need to step out of this for a while and regroup because this isn't working for me. And it's not about you're this and you're that and you're hard. Like you were un understanding that he was in a place with a lot of competing priorities, but you just knew you weren't going to start lay down some foundational dynamics that were going to help that were going to allow you to not feel as the as important as you needed to feel in that relationship. Yeah, and you know, you have to have a strong sense of self and self-worth. And yeah. that's why I always say it has to start with you. How confident are you in yourself, in your goals, in your vision for who you want to be? And if someone, even if you have a lightning bolt moment, and maybe that was meant to be three to six months of lightning and fun and everything that goes along with that, but maybe that wasn't meant to be your lifelong partner. And that's okay. Because guess what? You learned from that situation. Mm -hmm. You learn from that situation. You take more knowledge about yourself to the next situation. You're also more aware in the world about the ups and downs and how to ask the right next questions. Mm -hmm. And that's really key. It's so critical because when we've seen friends, when we've found ourselves even over the years, struggling in a relationship so often it's because we have started to let that strong sense of self maybe dissipate a bit. It, I don't want to, I don't want to make waves here. I'm really into this person. I really want this to go well and started to allow those boundaries can sound like a harsh word, but it's a really important word because it's just that this is what I'm, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm looking for. I certainly hope that we can partner up and collaborate in this, but I'm not going to change who I am just to fit your world, nor would I ask you to change who you are to fit my world. And that can be tricky. So that strong sense of self, Roshini, when, if a woman's saying, Hey, I want to have that strong sense of self, but I don't know, what do I do? What steps do I take? Some tangibles behind that. What do you recommend? One thing you can do is start by looking at your calendar and seeing what is making up my day, my week, my month. Is there enough on there. Of course, if you have a job, work is going to be on there. But is it the kind of work that challenges you that's interesting? Let's start there. Other things that aren't work, are those things you're putting on the calendar because you want to, or is someone else making you? And how do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. If lunch with a certain friend is taxing and you've got it every month, that's an hour to 90 minutes once a month you're wasting that, hey, I could be doing something else that's much, much more enjoyable. Or if lunch is taxing just for whatever reason, but you still like this person want to keep in touch, could you turn it into a 30-minute phone call? Could you do mm -hmm. coffee or walk around a lake? Because then you're also getting physical exercise. So it's really asking yourself, what is my calendar looking like? 
how am I spending my time? Mm -hmm. Is it all time that I'm signing off on that's Mm -hmm. worth it for me? And then I also am a big believer and I, I teach this with my executive coaching clients. I call it green space and I try to live it myself. Do you have green space every day? And that can be the actual literal green, like the outside, the trees, the grass. Or for me, one of my favorites is when I'm able to go to one of my favorite coffee shops, have my oat milk chai tea latte, read the paper cover to cover. And inevitably I get story ideas for the crisis files, my podcast, or I might see something about a company I'm working with. So I need to read up on it. But for the most part, the point is to have that time just to myself, to drink my chai tea latte, to read the paper or happy hour with a friend. That could be green space where you're not focused on work. It's joyful. It's something you put on your calendar because you want to. And when I look and actually color it green, it's Mm. green on my calendar. So every day I need to have some green space. So this morning I had a workout with my trainer, which I try to do twice a week if I can. That's green space. That's just Mm -hmm. for me. And it's improving me. I have a great trainer. We've been together two years. And then is there at least some spot of green on my calendar every day? Mm -hmm. And if there isn't, there's got to be a good reason. Like maybe it's a really intense time at work and then all I can do is come home, eat and sleep or see the kids. Even if you can see the kids for half an hour or talk to mom for half an hour, that can be green space. But If you need to go a long stretch where there's no green space, can you get to a day like a Saturday or Sunday or both where the entire day is green space, where it doesn't have to be scheduled? Mm -hmm. And it is amazing. Just seeing that green space is on my calendar helps me know it's coming, it's coming. And it it makes the time before that more productive. It helps me to look forward to that green Mm -hmm. space, which also sets off some other good endorphins. So that is one thing that I recommend for everyone, whether you're trying to find love or not, (laughs) green space is a good idea. And I love that. I just actually gave my nieces some journals because I am a big believer and there is some research about the process of writing something out, our thoughts in our head, but actually writing it down. And I don't know exactly the neural pathways that are activated, but it can give you clarity to write out your thoughts, to see them now in black and white in front of you. And to your point about your calendar, your time is the one of the biggest, if not the biggest reflection of your values. So when and we're talking so about precious, it's precious. Oh, you, you can make more money. You can never make more time. Right. So you writing down what your calendar is, is a reflection of who you are and your values. And if so, getting back to that strong sense of self, if you don't know who you are, I always recommend values clarification. If I don't feel that strong sense of self, let me look at my calendar. What am I doing every day? That's who I am. And if I don't like what I see, if I see a lot of, yeah, doing things for other people to the extent that I'm not getting that green space for me, or a lot of like way, way too much Netflix and way too much sitting on my butt and not getting that, that endorphins from energy, from activity and exercise, then I can look at that calendar, especially if I have written it out in black and white. And that's concrete. That's who I am. And again, that gives me an opportunity to go, okay, let me assess. Do I like what I see? If not, what changes am I willing to make? I think something, again, going back to our earlier point, something like that seems like basic, but it's not basic. And it really can give us that understanding that holding up the mirror for ourselves to say, okay, this is who I am. And this is what I'm about. I'm a big believer in trying to make things as objective and unemotional or as neutral as possible. Because 
when something like your calendar starts to get emotional, then you have problems. So a calendar can help kind of neutralize or minimize emotions because relationships have emotions, work relationships, romantic relationships, family relationships. So when you're following along, and again, I'm not suggesting we become robots and behold into this stiff calendar, but it's just a really great organizational tool mm. that you can do weeks or months at a time. And what I like to do is check in with my calendar, even if it's just, wow, my calendar is so packed, I better look at it the day before so I know what my first meeting is tomorrow, where do I have to be, could I sleep an extra 15 minutes, to just also, am I accomplishing what I need to accomplish? Right. Have I scheduled in the kinds of things that I need to do to get to my next goal? That's all right there in your calendar. If you see nothing, I'm working on the fourth edition of my book, that book I mentioned that came out in 2010. I'm working right. on the fourth edition. I've gotten through edits of the third edition, which by the way, I finished in May. And here we are in August and I need to still write the additional chapters. It's nowhere on my calendar. So I went in last Friday and started plugging in some time blocks to work on some new chapters. Not a lot, but that's really the holdup. That's what I need to do and get everything right. over to the editor and get this thing done. So if it's not on the calendar, it's not real for me. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. I'm stiff and a robot. It just means I've created the space. It's on my calendar. Now I'm going to follow that. And I'm going to be there for the people who expect me to show up. And at the same time, I'm also accomplishing my goals. I'm also getting right. some exercise. I'm also having some fun. Which getting back to the whole sense of self and self-esteem in particular research shows that the number one way to boost self-esteem, and this is good for kids, if you're a parent and trying to help your kids feel better about themselves and even ourselves as adults is to set a goal and reach it. And so if you need that structure, which I think most of us do, I think sometimes we resist structure if we're more artistic or more extrovert, like you were saying before, but even again, getting back to children, Kids do well when they have expectations and structure and eh, we do too. <laughs> I know that my calendar really helps ground me. And to your point, even before I go to bed at night, I want to put down on my calendar what I'm doing tomorrow. Helps me not sit there and toss and turn. Oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? No, I've read, it's on the calendar. It's there. It's in, my, it's, in my, it's in my planner. So that gives us that, again, that grounds us, which I think is really helpful in our very busy, chaotic world. Our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships. Elliot and I are here to help. We'd love to design a workshop, seminar, or weekend retreat for your organization. We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. We'll share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview. We can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us. Roshini, tell us more about your book and your work. And if anyone wants to connect with you, how they can do so. I would love for them to visit me on our website, ownyourwow.com. There's wheels of information. We are in the process of updating the website, although that's going to be a several month journey. So go there. You can also go to thecrisisfiles.com, which is where you'll find 
the current as well as the archive of the podcast, The Crisis Files is available on all podcast platforms also. And that really has been, we are August of this year, 2023, is the one year anniversary of The Crisis Files podcast. And Dr. Karen, you were on it. You were case file number 40. And I (laughs) recommend your listeners check it out. Good sex, bad sex was what her case file was called. And I'll just leave it at that. But we explore, my crisis squad and I, as well as other guests like you, experts, explore topics that if we can really get our our arms, our brains, our hearts around them, we can prevent crisis in our own lives. Mm. So sometimes I talk with someone like you who can really give us advice in some topical areas. Sometimes we take a rip from the headlines, headline and dissect it. And I and my crisis squad give feedback on how could this have been prevented and how do you prevent it in your life? So we've covered all kinds of things from the live in PGA golf now merger used to be versus now they're trying to merge to sleep deprivation. The recent case file DEI backlash. There's been a lot of public universities and institutions that are taking away anything race-based as well as support for some DEI initiatives of the past. So I get into that topic with Dr. Abdul Omari, who is my DEI, my inclusion guy on the crisis squad. So we've really been able to explore a lot with the crisis files and it's really become a culmination of everything I've done so far from my past previous career in television news to my life as a business owner and radio host and all the different topics. And in my work as a business owner, I am an executive and crisis coach to C-suite executives, other strategic leaders, trying to help them prevent crisis, trying to help them manage teams, put themselves out there in productive ways. So I'm really able to tap into all of that background and my current work to come up with some great content for the crisis files. And we keep them kind of bite-sized. They're 20 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. So you can binge us if you want to. (laughs) Yeah. We recently celebrated case file number 50. We're beyond that now, but it's very... It's been very exciting and fun to do that podcast in and around my other work. And here you are, like you said, taking all your past experiences in these different domains and letting it come together. And Crisis Files sounds like you have a wide array of content that you address, which I think is great because we are very complex and diverse individuals and we have a lot of different interests and passions. So it sounds like you're addressing a lot of those different domains. What we say on the crisis files is it's not a matter of if, but when crisis (laughs) will rock your world. So we're just trying to help soften the blow or even prevent the crisis. Roshini, thank you so much for sharing much of your love journey with us. And for anyone who's out there going, Hey, my love journey isn't going quite as planned. We hope that our conversation sharing some of the strategies that helped us remain happy and hopeful and positive in our journey to love, which happened a little later. We hope that's been helpful and empowering for you. Thanks for Sheenie. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much for listening and for spending a portion of your day with us. We hope these seven steps to empowered dating give you encouragement and confidence as you make your way on your love journey. For more research-based dating strategies, be sure to head over to loveandlifemedia.com to grab your free copy of our Empowered Dating Playbook. You'll then be signed up for our weekly newsletter and you'll be the first to know about all things love and life. Thanks again so much for listening and until next time... Make it a great week.
Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.